Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 86 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today I have with me a friend of mine, Lynn, and she is going to share her story. Her story is fascinating. It's got some interesting little twists and turns to it. And I also just want to say that I know, I've known Lynn since the beginning of my own um, putting together the Flying Free program. She was in the beta program when we were, she was willing to go through all of the stops and starts with, with me and a few other women. And she has been a huge friend, friend and supporter of my, of me and my work and of many of the women in the Flying Free Sisterhood program. So um, welcome to the Flying Free podcast, Lynn. Hi, Nellie. I'm so happy to be able to do this. And um, hopefully, I mean, some of the things are strange and weird, but I still hope <laughs> be an encouragement to other women. That is um, definitely my main goal. Um, so, and I am a charter member of the Flying Free uh, group. That's right. I, I couldn't wait to get in. In fact, uh, I tried, I think I emailed you five times because it's like <laughs> I didn't get an answer right away. So it's like, oh my gosh, did she really get my email? To, that is I, so funny. I needed you desperately at the time. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. So. And maybe, maybe you can talk about like where that falls in your story when you're telling your story. But um. I, you're also in, for those of you who are listening, Lynn also joined, Lynn was ready to go at it again. And she joined my beta (laughs) group for the flying hire program, which isn't even released yet. It's coming out in January of 2021, but she jumped on board with that too. And she's been helping me with um, that whole thing as well. So, okay. So let's get into your story. I want to know how you, first of all, you know, you're, you might have to tell, just give a little bit of a background when you answer this first question, because this was your second husband. Right. And, um, and so tell us about how you met your second husband, what happened to your first husband? And also did you, I, I'm curious to know if you noticed any red flags. Um, I was widowed for four years. Um, my first husband was a lot older than me. He died of prostate cancer. Um, and I really wasn't interested in dating, but I met somebody who had, uh, done online dating. And I thought, in fact, he met his future wife on eHarmony. And I thought, well, you know, why not try it just for the fun of it? So, um, I, I think I started with Christian Mingle. Anyways, that's where I met him on, uh, Christian Mingle. And, um, and to put a little in perspective, um, the, uh, the person I met, I'm trying not to say his name, uh, is, was and is a pastor, uh, hospice chaplain and former missionary. And um, me being a Christian woman, I was, you know, very happy to meet somebody like this. Um, so the red flags, I could probably do a whole podcast on red flags, so you might have to stop me. Um, <laughs> I didn't do it too much. I actually want to jump in here and just make the point that there are a lot of women 
survivor, female survivors who are married to pastors and missionary types. And you do, and you do think that when, if you're going to be in a relationship with someone like that, it's so bizarre that we automatically assume that they're going to be a safe person because they're in the ministry. When in, in reality, it's at, the ministry is one of the top occupations that people with personality disorders choose to go into. So yes. you're, you actually are running a much higher risk by marrying someone who's in ministry than you yes. are by marrying someone who's not. Just little side note there. Yeah, so he was, uh, you know, a triple threat. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and a, a former missionary. So on, on his profile, um, he said he was divorced. And even at the time, I thought that was unusual that a pastor would be divorced. Um, but I thought, oh, well, why not? We'll check into it. And, um, and so we started chatting, and then he eventually had to admit to me that he really wasn't divorced. And um, he was going through a divorce. He was, they, in the state that he lived, they didn't even have legal separation. So it was not even, he was separated. He was going through a divorce and looking for somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and he said uh, he loved me about three weeks in, into our chatting, just chatting on the dating site. It wasn't even, you know, meeting face to face. Mm. Uh, and when we did meet, this was, I'm just guessing, it was about three months after we started uh chatting um, on the dating site. We did meet face-to-face, -face and um, he wanted sex uh, the, first, the first day, actually. Um, and I remember telling my mother was alive at the time and, um, and telling my best friend, that, I said, I can't. It, this was after he left. It's like, I can't go out with this guy. He's too horny. <laughs> it's like, it was like I, I don't understand this, why a pastor, <laughs> you know, is, but I mean, he would say that, you know, uh, I mean, th that's in, also into the story about um, his soon to be ex, you know, and how he, she didn't give him sex and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, number four, he talked nasty about his uh, soon-to-be ex and blamed uh, her for all his woes. And he, he would say this quite often, that he lost his family. So they were all, of course, we were in our 50s by then. They were all grown. He did have one child, 18-year-old child that uh, lived with him. But he still lamented that, you know, his family was gone. And his grown, his other grown children had a relationship with him, but it was, it was just one of his woes. And he also told me <laughs> that his, oh, woe was me, that his first wife had left him four times throughout their 30-year marriage. So they were married for 30 years. And how terrible she was for doing this. And, you know, I was very brave at the beginning. And I would say, well, why did she leave you? And he would get angry for me, you know, asking that. And he would tell me stories about, you know, the first time she left, how he got in front of his congregation and, and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And um, it's kind of funny, uh, at the end of our relationship, I started um, using the gray rock 
method. Yeah. And for, and for those of for those of you who are listening, gray rock just means that you make yourself very uninteresting. You say very little. You don't react to their their crazy stuff. You just are. You don't bring up anything. You don't the, like. You try to keep the drama to a total minimum. Yeah, and that's what I was doing. I wasn't always the greatest at it, uh, but he asked me one morning. He said, "Why are you acting like this?" And, um, you know, and I said, I am protecting myself. I'm guarding my heart. And he said, if I'm so terrible, why did my ex-wife stay with me for 30 years? <laughs> they, oh can, they can twist anything <laughs> into any, it's like, the, it's like the news media. It's fascinating. It is. And I said, I said, why did she leave me four times? I still wonder that. It's like, right. oh my gosh, I don't know. So um, he couldn't, he couldn't ever articulate why his ex-wife left him. He was never able to articulate that. Correct. No, no. Oh, not, never, 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 never. And it was, it was always, you know, a bad thing to add, even though, you know, there were times it's like, okay, you're bringing this up again. Why did she leave you? Right. (laughs) But it was always her, you know, that, that's how he would articulate it. Mm -hmm. That, you know, it was always her. Um, and there was another thing, I didn't know what to call it at the time, but, um, he alienated his 18 year old son against his soon to be ex, his mother. And now I know it's called parental alienation. I saw that before my eyes and I'm just disturbed. I even, um, you know, tolerated that or put up with that. But I mean, there's lots of stories about that too, but it's, it could get very long. Um, and another thing, he discarded me quickly, but it was um, after I gave in to him. Um, by, I gave in to him by having sex. Mm-hmm. And this was before, you know, we were married. And he was still married to his soon-to-be ex. So I was, I was very confused by this. I gave him, you know, he pursued me. And um, I gave him what he wanted, you know, I, I really loved this man. Um, so then it was kind of strange after that happened, I started pursuing him cause he discarded me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so, all this is just so twisted. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's so mixed up in your brain when it's happening to you. Yep. Uh, another thing he did a lot was made derogatory comments about groups of people or categories of people like women uh, gays, lesbians. Uh, my daughter is uh, a lesbian, and um, I think he would do it purposely. Uh, just to give an example, one time um, it was it was Easter Sunday, and a member of his congregation got out of jail, and he was in jail for domestic violence. Interesting. He was from a South American country, and on the way home from church. Um, that my, he was actually my boyfriend at the time, told me that he counseled this man. And the way he counseled him, he told him that you need to be aware that North American men don't have any rights. And I said, why didn't you tell him he's not supposed to be beating his wife? <laughs> it's like, what? Isn't that fascinating that he went to, so he was identifying with the wife beater. Yes. Yeah. 
So I, I was just flabbergasted by the comment. And then he was angry with me. So I started being desperate trying to explain you know, my point of view was like, how could you say that? I have daughters. What if my friends heard that? Oh, and it was, oh my gosh, she got so angry at me. And it was Easter Sunday. We watched the Passion of the Christ. And he was so angry at me. And he acted like he was angry at the movie <laughs> too. And I was bawling because of the movie and bawling because he was angry with me. And um, that was actually one of the times I, I broke up with him. And I said, I can't live with a man like this, but he, he drew me back in. And it's funny that the only thing he said was that he still loved me. He didn't ask for forgiveness. He didn't say he was wrong. He just said he loved me. And I think I just needed love at that time. Mm -hmm. um, so that was my, you know, that was my struggle, I guess. Uh, I did have a disturbing dream and it's almost like, it's, when I think back in the dream, it's almost like a, a satanic dream. I can't describe it any other way. Um, but it was, it was uh, a warning from God not to marry him. And um, I won't go into details of all the dream, but it was like, it, it was very scary. And when I woke up from the dream, my chihuahua was sleeping with me and I, my heart was pounding so bad. I had to look at to see, was this dream really real? I had to look at my chihuahua and he was still sleeping. So I, I knew it was a dream. That was the only way I knew it was a dream. So yeah, those are the, those were the red flags. There were, you know, others, but that's it in a nutshell. Okay. So tell me, um, what, after you were, how long were you actually married to this person? Five years. All right. So I was with him two years. Um, you know, we got a divorce and then uh, we got married. Yeah. Okay. So why don't you tell us, give us a couple of examples of the ways that he was ab abusive to you, some of his little abusive, abuse tactics, and then how you, how you coped as a survivor in the situation. Um, it, most of the time it was uh, a total lack of interest in me. Um, interest in, you know, not asking questions or not, you know, caring anything about me. I mean, this was the way it was before we were married too. So, um, but I would, it, I would be confused because I would see him give attention to like members of the congregation, his family. Um, and we also had a female roommate, which is a whole nother story. And uh, he would give attention to her. Um, and there was a lot of uh, things that he said that, you know, I could give you an example. Like he, he would tell people I should have never gone on the dating site. And, as, and to me, that meant you are sorry that you met me. Right. Um, and when I brought this up to him, I, I would get an op uh, an angry outburst from him. And, you know, he would say I was too sensitive and he could talk to other female, you know, his female coworkers and they wouldn't get upset over that. He could joke with other women, but I'm, I'm just way too sensitive. Um, and he lamented several times. Um, and this was before he became 
a pastor. I mean, he was a pastor, but then became a, I mean, it's a long story, but he lamented several times that he couldn't get a ministry job. He knew he was called of God to preach, but he couldn't get a ministry job because he was divorced and remarried, not just divorced, but he was remarried. And I would bring that up to him. It's like, it sounds like you're sad or upset that you got um, remarried to me. And then he would get, you know, get upset for that. And Mm -hmm. one of his things was uh, a silent treatment and it was a silent treatment for a long time. And he would call it going into a shell. Um, He even said one time, one of the times he came out of his silent treatment that he was doomed to be married to women who disrespected him. So so you're by your asking questions or expressing any of your own identity having your own ideas or thoughts or feelings, that was disrespectful to him. It's disrespectful for a woman to show up as a real person in the relationship with an abuser. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I I mostly felt very alone. Uh, We moved across the country to live in another state for his job um, as a hospice chaplain. And... um, it was, you know, away from family and friends, and it was also a different culture. And I don't know if I can say it, but it was New Mexico. I, I mean, I really like the state now. I've learned to love it. I don't live there now, but um, I mean, at first, it was it was very lonely. And his um, uh, a member, his family moved in with us, and, and then you know, more conflict came after that. But it, I just felt. Um, just alone. That was a lot of it. And then if I brought anything up, then it would be, and I would just learn to keep my mouth shut. Like what was the turning point for you? Um, well, I I took a course, um, from Leslie Vernick called empowered to change. Uh, that was like two years into our relationship. Um, and how did you find her? Were you looking for information on what you were going through or? Well, it's actually before we were married, I, I read uh, the emotional or let's see the Patricia Evans one. The verbally abusive relationship. The verbally abusive relationship. But it's funny that, you know, I could see him easily in this book, but things would get better. So I would, you know, forget about it. And then, um, I actually threw some of my journals away that we're talking about it because it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, he really does love me. Yeah. <laughs> but with, um, Leslie, uh, I read the book, the emotionally destructive relationship or emotionally destructive marriage or whatever. Yeah. So I took the course empowered to change and I even told him about it. And so I thought it would be good because it's like, I'm, I'm the one that's going to change, you know, this like, there's no pressure on you. (laughs) I'm the one that's going to change. So I had to write goals. And, um, so uh, he actually read my goals. I didn't give them to him. He, he snuck at them and read them. And after he read them, he was, he told me he was just devastated and he wanted to, um, learn how to love me. And it's like, Really? <laughs> it's like, okay. So I was drawn in again. Uh-huh. Um, and but the funny thing is, he 
you know, he didn't really want to learn how to love me. Um, and he never even asked. Yeah. He was probably just in a good mood that night and maybe wanted some. Yeah. Oh yeah. He wanted, some. And... <laughs> he wanted that quite often. That was yeah. part of the problem. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm curious then, how did you change? Um, well, there was, um, a couple things that happened. I mean, I joined, um, flying free. Um, I did join conquer too. Um, and there's nothing against conquer. Just flying free was a little bit more, uh, validating for me. Um, and I had, um, friends, uh, who would, uh, call me and talk to me. I had one friend who was in an abusive marriage and she was actually in two abusive marriages. She's an older lady and she was in a good marriage. Now she would call me two or three times a week and I would, I would lament <laughs> to her and you know, she, she would know what I was going through and she, and one thing she said, I know someday you're going to leave him. And I didn't believe it at the time. I didn't want to get divorced. I wanted, I wanted to stay married. I wanted to figure out how to be a good wife to this man. I just couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, um, I took the Empowered to Change. I got on Flying Free. Um, and I just started to understand that it probably hey was there. never going to change. If you're a woman of faith in a confusing and painful marriage who feels like you're just a shadow of the woman you used to be, I'd like to help you change that. Three years ago, I developed a comprehensive program that has helped hundreds of women exactly like you go from being a caterpillar to a butterfly in full color, flying with strength and confidence, joy and freedom. The Flying Free program uses transformational coaching, workshops, classes, and a close-knit community of women to support you on your journey. We don't just talk about the problems, because what you need is a way forward to the life you were created to live. Registration is opening on Thursday, October 1st, 2020 for five days. It won't be open again until April of 2021. So don't miss out on this opportunity to change the course of your entire life. Learn more and get on the waiting list at www.joinflyingfree.com. That's joinflyingfree.com. And now let's get back to our episode. So some of the things I did to cope, though, while um, I was in New Mexico, uh, I had a job that I could uh, get several days off in a row. So um, I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel cared for. So I would go to my kids' place. Um, you know, I would take several trips to see them. Um, and I would also go see my friends. And I felt loved by them. I felt loved by my kids. You know, they weren't his kids felt loved by my friends. And then I could seem to, you know, be able to get recharged and then go back to him for more abuse. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I'm curious too, at any point in your journey, did you learn the importance of and start working on loving yourself, like taking care of Lynn? You know, that probably didn't even happen until after I left him. Yeah. Um, 
but I, I've done uh, several things after I left him. Um, EMDR is one of them. Uh, well, when I was in the marriage, I got coaching from you. I, I do want to mention that because that was, that was a big turning point. Um, and I also got uh, counseling uh, online from two other counselors. And the, the one counselor told me I had um, magical thinking because I, I was still at the point where I wanted you know, him, I wanted to be married to him. And mm -hmm. this counselor told me he wasn't going to change. And he referred me to another counselor who was uh, a female and was, uh, had been in the same situation. She was in an emotionally destructive marriage. So he wanted me to talk to her and kind of get it. So it was you and this, this counselor. And then I talked to this other female counselor and I finally got it. Um, and I understood. That's when I started thinking that I can't live this way. Yeah. And we also had an argument. Um, and it's kind of a long, drawn-out detail thing, so I'm not going to go into that. But it, it was about the female roommate. And um, he told me that she was his only ally. <laughs> and I said, you know... I have done all these things for you. I was so angry by that time. Yeah. I've done all these things. I moved across the country. You know, my, I don't live near my family. You have your family here. I do this. I support your ministry, blah, blah, blah. And you're saying that this roommate is your only ally. And I was so angry. And he was angry because I was angry. Mm -hmm. So that started the process. He, again, gave me the silent treatment for several days. But by that time, I was glad that he gave me the silent. I was, I just couldn't talk to him anymore. You kind of hit and the, you hit, you hit the bottom. You hit the bottom I of what you were bottom. willing to, yep. Yeah. And he said, um, when he finally came around, it's because it, it used to be me, you know, begging him to get out of his, you know, shell. <laughs> but he came to me and said, we needed to talk. And so I listened, and the essence of what he said was, I never let him be who he wants to be. He wants to be able to say derogatory things. I mean, he didn't use the word derogatory. But he wants to say things about gays. He wants to th say things about liberals. He wants to say things about females. And, you know, he wants to be able to be free to do that. Yep. And it's like, Wow that you, you're absolutely right. You need to be free to be able to yep. be. And if you can't put up with that, then you could leave. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. And you know, you have said that so many times. Mm -hmm. And um, when you're counseling, uh, you know, or coaching, not counseling. Um, and it's like, yes, we need to let them be who yep. they are. I, I, there was no way I was ever going to change this man. And it's my control, my trying to control him. That's, I'm almost as bad as he is trying to control him. Well, your, uh, your desire, you know, all people, we all human beings have a natural propensity to want to control our environment so, so that we can be happy and be comfortable, right? So we all do that. Right. Some people right. do it abuse and they use abuse tactics to do it and they are abusive. And then other people do it in other ways that aren't abusive. They're just normal human ways of doing it. 
So that I want to be, you know, I want to say, yes, yes. We, as women in women in the group and women that I coach, we often are trying to get our husbands to change, but we're doing it in constructive ways, like sitting down and trying to talk to them, trying to get counseling, trying to, you know, make it easy for them to do, you know, to fulfill their responsibilities. We're doing, we're doing things like that. Whereas they're manipulating, lying, <laughs> um, you know, right. shaming, yeah. criticizing all of those kinds of things. And that's, that's where, that's the difference between abuse and non-abuse. But the, the, you're right though. The key is letting, he's never going to let you be who you are. He, you're a little Lego no. character in his universe, but right. letting him be who he is, let him have his own little fantasy world where you're a Lego character and let him do what he wants to do and be who he wants to be. But then you also give yourself the same freedom. And then that's going to be your ticket. That's going to be your ticket to peace and relief from his little vortex of drama. Right. So, so how, um, I left him, I I just didn't feel comfortable (laughs) telling him and I don't recommend this for other women, but I gave him everything. I just wanted out. It was, and it was like a quick decision for me, but I might be a little bit different because, you know, I'm a registered nurse. I knew I could support myself and we had a house together. It was a brand new house, but it's like, I just, I can't do this anymore. It was like a waking up moment. And, um, I, I agonized over how I was going to tell him. And, um, I just decided I can't tell him. I got to do this in secret. So uh, I started started making plans. Uh, I mean, what I would do is kind of funny. I would take things, you know. I didn't. I just take like took like a carload of stuff. I didn't, you know, take furniture or anything like that. But I would take like I had my kids' pottery displayed on a shelf or something. I would take a piece of pottery, pack it up, and then put something else on the shelf. I would take a picture off. Oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> And I would, and I had a friend, she was the only one that knew what was going on, only one in uh, New Mexico. And um, I would um, take it to her house. And uh, so I was all prepared to leave and ready to go on a Friday morning um, without him knowing it, you know, even kissed him goodbye. And, um, the only thing I had to do, I was all packed up. The only thing I had to do was uh, put my suitcase in the car and grab my two chihuahuas and go. And he showed up. He showed up in uh, the middle of the morning. And I, I can't tell you how scared I was. And one of the reasons I did this in secret, but, um, I had a, I don't even know this can be, on the podcast, but I had a friend and coworker who was murdered by her husband. And that was six months before this. Mm -hmm. Um, And he also killed himself. And I, that just threw me for a loop. And that was, uh, you know, well, that explains a ton, that explains your visceral fear in this situation. I was, I was, I was very, I was fearful of him. He'd never hit me. But it was like I was fearful to talk, you know. I was yep. fearful to bring anything up. I was just in fear. And so, yeah, when he showed up, I was in a lot more fear. But I knew I had to, you know, face the music. So he actually saw my suitcase 
and said, you know, it looks like somebody's taking a trip. And I said, yep, I am. I'm leaving you. <laughs> so, and it's funny, I was worried. Another reason I was worried about telling him is because I thought, you know, he would say he loved me and, you know, don't do it. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll work it out or, or whatever. But none of that happened. None of that. He, he, it was just a woe was me. Yeah. <laughs> and the only thing, well, not the only thing, but one big concern was what I was going to tell his denomination elders. He said, this is your chance to be really mean. It's like, I'm not going to be mean to you. It's like, I'm not going to do that. But it's interesting that after I left him, I did want to tell somebody. It's like, somebody needs to know. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I agonized over that. Um, and I had to ask several people. I know I even asked you you know, is it going to do any good? Should I tell him? Should I, you know, it's like, everybody said, no, (laughs) it will not do a bit of good and they won't believe you. Yeah. So, um, I still, I mean, it's not burning in my, you know, heart to do it. And I've actually done a lot of work on forgiveness, but I still wonder if, his superiors should know because he's been a pastor at several places, you know, and it's, but I doubt that they're going to understand or even care. So, yeah, well, and that's something you can always, that's, that door is always open. You can revisit that eventually if you need to, especially if you heard that something had happened, something else had happened, then it's, I mean, it is kind of nice to have people come out of the woodwork and confirm your story. And so if something else happened to to another woman, you know, and then you came forward and said, yes, this is what happened to me too. But yeah, yeah, I've thought about that. And I've often said, you know, I I wish, you know, she could have my phone number because that was one of the things I reached out to his ex-wife, probably three times and asking, I wanted her side of the story. And, um, you know, it was one time she did want to talk to me, but that day just didn't work out. The other two, it was a a flat out. No, Uh, I wish I could have taken the opportunity, but I mean, it probably wouldn't have made a difference. So I I probably still would have said, well, I can change them, (laughs) you know, but it's like, no, I can't change them. Right. Okay, so Lynn, as we wrap up here, I'm curious to know where you're at today. Where's your life at today? And what if you could, you know, if you could talk, sit down and talk with these listeners, which I guess we are, right? It, what would you say to them as far as a, a piece of advice that you'd have for them? And because so many of them are where you were for so many years, just wondering, you know, is this abuse? Is it not abuse? Does he love me? Does he not love me? And I want to just reiterate to the fact that it does take time to go through that whole process of figuring all of that out. And it's okay that it takes time. So don't feel, if you're listening to this, don't feel like, oh my gosh, I got to figure this out. You, you can take all the time you need to figure it out before you do make any decisions or do anything. And in the meantime, the work that you'd want to do on yourself is just um, learning how to discover who you are, 
rather than being a Lego character in his world, you're a real flesh and blood person and you get to be your own person. Who are you? Do you like yourself? Do you have your own back? Those are the things you can work on yourself while you're trying to figure out what's going on in your relationship. So Lynn, tell me where, where are things at with you today and what would you tell people? Um, well, I'm actually living in South Carolina and I, uh, live with family and they're, um, building me a mother-in-law suite. I'm so excited. Oh my word. That's <laughs> so awesome. I get, I get to be with family and then live in a, in a nice cheap apartment. Cause I, my, or what mother-in-law suite, my goal is to retire. <laughs> so, um, but I do, mm-hmm. I, work as a home health nurse and I'm actually just working weekends and it's only 32 hours a week. So I have time during the week to, uh, and what I want to do is help women. So um, that's one of the things I've done. I took uh, give her wings Academy um, and graduation is next Saturday. So I'm very happy about that. And I'm also going to be a facilitator in, um, your book study and uh, workbook. I saw that. Very excited about that. And um, I don't have any regrets because I never would have learned these things about myself if I hadn't, uh, you know, been involved in somebody who was um, the way he was. And what I learned about myself, I'm still working on, I had to have EMDR and, you know, more counseling. And I actually had uh, coaching by Helena Knowlton too. In fact, I, I reached out to you one time and you said you weren't doing it anymore. <laughs> it's like, I just need to talk to somebody. Oh, so, uh, I mean, Helena was awesome. And, um, you know, she has really helped me a lot, but I had to have EMDR too. And Helena was, I mean, you recommended it too. And uh, Helena did. That has really helped a lot. Um, learning to love myself. And I think you mentioned that. And this quote, I, I got it from Polly Hamp's uh, book, Cherished. Um, if we choose to believe that we are unlovable, we will choose relationships and we are not loved in which we are not loved. If we believe we are not worth much, we will treat ourselves that way. And I'm learning, you know, that uh, not to do that. And one bit of advice that I would give uh, to women is, please do not, if you don't feel comfortable telling your husband, don't tell him you're leaving. I mean, uh, I, I had another instance when I, well, don't even dare say it, but it was something similar to um, my coworker that was murdered. And the only thing I could say is just please be safe. You may think it's just emotional abuse, but please just get a safety plan. So good. Thank you so much, Lynn, for sharing your story with us here on the Flying Free Podcast. And for those of you who are listening, thank you for joining us today. Until next time, fly free.